In, uh, in the 1950s, there was a golfer named Tommy Bolt. Anybody remember, remember that name? Just Darcy. Okay, you just dated yourself. Um, Tommy Bolt was a, a professional golfer, was, was really pretty good, and he had a, a reputation for his anger. He would like break clubs and throw them when he missed a shot or whatever, kind of like some of you do at the Novation Open. Um, just kidding, I didn't see any of that. Um, but he, one day he, at one of the tournaments, he got assigned a caddy. A caddy's the person who like helps you carry your clubs and all of that. He got assigned a caddy who had a reputation of being quite the talker. And so Tommy, being the, the grouchy guy that he was, he told the caddy, he said, listen, the only two things you can say to me is, yes, Mr. Bolt, or no, Mr. Bolt. That's all I want to hear from you. So as the uh, match went on, he hit a shot that appeared to like go under a tree. And he was actually leading the tournament. So a lot of money on the line there. And so he gets to where the ball is under the tree, and he's trying to kind of figure out his shot. He looks at the caddy, and he said, should I use a five iron? And the caddy said, no, Mr. Bolt. And so he's, that frustrated him even more. And he was like, you're not going to tell me what club I should use. And so he goes ahead, and he hits the ball, and it lands about three feet from, from the pin. And he looks at him with this really smug look, and he's like, how did that work out for me, huh? You told me to hit, hit a five iron. He said, he said, go ahead and, and speak. Now I want you to tell me why did you do that. And he said, that wasn't your ball. <laughs> it's true. And so he lost two penalty strokes by hitting the, a ball that wasn't his and ended up losing the whole the, the tournament. Think about it. He probably had 10 years' worth of wages that were on the line, but his anger and pride got in the way. It says in Proverbs 11 too, it says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. We started a brand new series last week called Deadly that we've titled, and we're going to look through the seven deadly sins as they've been taught over, over the years. And last week we did a, a message, just an overview of what sin was, how it works, what Jesus did about it for us. There's good news there, but why do we still struggle with it if Jesus died for our sins? If you weren't here, you can go online and listen to that or download the app and have it on the podcast. But um, today we're going to talk about pride. And the reason we're doing this series is the seven deadly sins have kind of been known as a summary of all, all the other sins, sort of, kind of come underneath one of those seven sins. But Pride's an interesting one because it's kind of the gateway sin of all other sins, as we'll see. There's two kinds of pride. There's good pride and there's a bad pride. The good pride is when we, we take joy in the success of others. We take joy in the growth of others. You can take pride in your, your children, like Proverbs 17, 6 says, or a satisfaction of a job well done. You worked hard, and, and you can take pride in your work. It's a sense of dignity as well. Um, the one proverb about, you know, seven, Proverbs seventeen six about children, parents being proud of their children, and grandkids, grandparents being proud of their grandkids. Like that, that's a good kind of pride. Obviously, that can go overboard, but I, I've experienced that pride a ton in my life over over my children, and so have you. We went last year. Uh, got to watch two of our kids graduate from military boot camp. 
And I know you're tired of me talking about how proud I am, but I, I, I'll never forget that one of the coolest things I've ever seen was, here's my, my firstborn daughter, and she's just a little petite thing, and she had survived Navy boot camp, right? And she shocked us when she decided, it came up on Facebook today, that this was the day she swore in a year ago. That was weird. But... Here she was, and she was been, we didn't really get to talk to her for two months, and I remember being in this building where they do the graduation, and we were sitting straight ahead of where this garage door opens, and they were, they were playing the music and marching, and her unit was the first to walk in, and I just saw her little face, and I just was like, oh my gosh, this is such a cool dad moment. And then shortly later, we got to see Damien graduate from Coast Guard boot camp in, in uh, September. And he was uh, part of the drill team as part of the celebration where they, you know, flipped the guns up in the air. And I'm like, he didn't know how to do that. He couldn't catch a baseball very well. How's he going <laughs> to catch these rifles? But he did it. It was uh, those moments of pride that we have. That, th- those are good. But there's a bad pride. Bad pride is vanity, arrogance, being conceited, haughtiness, boasting, a feeling of superiority because of who you are, what you have. That's bad pride. That's the pride that we're going to be talking about today. It's the pride that gets us in trouble and makes us do dumb things, you know. And when it comes to parental pride, that good pride can turn to bad pride real quick when your kid's not playing in you think your kid should be playing and so you're, you're jealous of another kid or you're, you're, you're whatever. We can push our kids in whatever we want to push them in, and all of a sudden, we're finding our identity in our children. And they have this new pressure on them to, because we're proud of them, and we got to let that go and learn how that, that can turn ugly really quick. Why is pride, why is bad pride deadly? Why is it one of the deadly sins? As I said earlier, it's the gateway sin. Most people believe, you know, what that teach on the deadly sins, that it's the root of all the other sins. A guy named G.K. Chesterton was a Christian philosopher during World War II, and he wrote all kinds of books that have impacted society. And he was asked to um, share in an essay that was going to go in, in the London paper uh, back during World War II called, and it was, the essay was going to be titled, What's Wrong with the World? And so he wrote, and he wrote back to him, and he just gave him two sentences. He said, what's wrong with the world? Me, is what he said. And if that does, doesn't register to you, it really should. I am what's wrong with the world. We, as people who don't do what God says to do and we're proud, we contribute to, to what's wrong with this world, the sin that's in this world. We need to talk about this. So I'm going to give you a few bullet points on, on what, why pride is such a deadly sin. First of all, it makes us like Satan. Enough said, right? When I'm proud, when you're proud, we are acting like the devil. Now, if you're kind of new to church or the Bible and you're not even sure if you believe in a devil or whatever, the Bible is clear that, that there is a devil and there are demons and there's the, the enemy and the devil was a created being by God. He was a created angel. And he, we don't see a ton about what happened in eternity past, but we know that some scriptures allude to the fact that he maybe led worship 
in the throne room of God in heaven and that he was some sort of leader. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, after his disciples had gone and done some ministry, they had come back to Jesus and they said, Jesus, even the demons obey us and we have authority. And Jesus immediately says, guys, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And he was, he was talking about this pride that Satan had that got him kicked out of heaven. We don't know exactly what happened, but you can read it on your own in Isaiah 14, I, the references on your notes, about what happened. And, and basically, Satan wanted to be God. He wanted to be, he, he made, thus by wanting to be God, he made himself, you know, the enemy and who he, who he was. And so understanding that, that he wanted to be God, got him kicked out of heaven. And then ultimately, we see in Genesis 3, where he tempts Adam and Eve as well to disobey God and to be like God. And that's been happening ever since. Pride is what keeps us from God. Pride is what kept me from God the first 25 years of my life. I wanted to be my own boss. I didn't want someone telling me what to do. Can you relate to that? Right? We think we know what's best for our lives, especially when we're younger. And when, when we, our pride separates us from God, I, um, many years ago, I was at a Thanksgiving dinner, and we were going around the table thanking what we were thankful for. And when it got to one of the people at our table, um, they weren't a believer, and they said, I don't need to thank God for anything. I earned my money. I earned, I work hard. It's, it's about me. And I was like, ooh, you don't know what you're saying there, you know? The, the definition of a Satan worshiper is not that they actually worship Satan. They worship themselves. You can look that up. A true Satan worshiper, it's not about the devil. It's about you, them worshiping themselves, being their own God, calling the shots in their life, and not doing, you know, what God says to do or anybody else. They're going to do their own thing. Second reason that it's deadly is it clouds our judgment. It clouds our judgment. You been there? Has your pride ever clouded your judgment of a situation or a relationship? You bet. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. I was watching a video, you know, Facebook, I, I don't recommend this, they have the little videos, and you can spend five hours watching these little videos on your phone, but there was this one guy that showed up, and, and uh, he was in McDonald's, and he was causing a ruckus, he obviously was under the influence of something, and the cops w that were there weren't going to shoot him, but he wasn't going to let them arrest him either, and so they were like fighting and back, and I was like, what makes people do these kind of dumb things? We get this warrior mentality. And people who have a warrior mentality end up in the wrong, with the wrong person at the right time sometimes. Pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before destruction. Remember, uh, I don't know, it was a couple years ago, Ronda Rousey, if you're into the whole MMA fighting stuff, she was like the toughest female fighter ever. Nobody could compete with her. Her, her matches didn't even last a minute most of the time. And I remember watching the press conference of a match that she was going to have. I can't remember the girl's name, but she was a blonde girl from New Mexico. And she told her in the press conference, I'm going to knock that 
pretty little smile off your face. Well, 20 seconds into the fight, she knocked Ronda Rousey into next Tuesday. Anybody remember that? You, you don't want to admit that you watched those things? It's, it's okay. Um, but it was, it was crazy to watch her pride before her, her fall there. People who are gifted. People who are gifted and talented. I don't need anybody. I can do this. I don't need help. That gets us in trouble. Another uh, amazing uh, a story was about, I read recently, was about a couple many, 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 many years ago. A couple walked into Harvard University, and they wanted to talk to the president. They had uh, something they wanted to ask him, and they showed up, and they didn't have an appointment, and they, they were talking to his secretary, and they said, we need to talk to the president. We have a question that we have for him that we have to. Well, you don't have an appointment. I know we're here. Can we please? And they just kept pestering to the point where uh, she, they let him, let him in, hoping it would just be a quick conversation. And so they walk in, and they're not dressed they're not dressed like Harvard, right? You know, they're not dressed like they, they fit in Harvard. And that was my thirst and howl for you Gilligan's Islands fans. Lovey. Should we take the Mercedes tonight? Anyway, um, so they, the president began to size them up and make a judgment about them. And he was like, can we hurry with this? And they said, okay, we will. They said, our son went to Harvard for one year, and uh, he loved it here, but he was tragically killed. And we were wondering if we could erect some sort of memorial on campus in his memory. And the president said, um, no, if we erected a memorial for every person that ever went to Harvard, um, we would look like a cemetery instead of a university. They said, no, 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 we don't want to do a statue. We want to build a building in his name. We want to fund a building. And he goes, do you know, and this shows how long ago it was, do you know how much all of our buildings on campus, they're worth $7.5 million. And the wife looked at the husband and she said, um, is that all it takes to start a university? <laughs> and Mr. and Mrs. Leland Stanford left Harvard and went and created their own university in Palo Alto, California. And then you bet their son got a, a memorial as well. Pride clouds our judgment. Pride always clouds our judgment. Thirdly, it taints even our good deeds. It leaves a stain on even our good deeds. The prophet Isaiah um, said in in chapter 64, verse 6, talking about the children of Israel and their righteous deeds and, and what they were doing, that they were kind of going through the motions, and they weren't really doing their righteous acts from a, a pure heart. And he said, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. The reason that pride taints and stains even our good deeds, it doesn't make the good deed itself bad. It's always good to help somebody, to serve somebody. But when we make that about us and our motives are not right, when we do things to get noticed, our good deeds become stained because that's just pride driving that. Another reason that pride is so deadly is it ruins our relationships. Pride is at the root of all broken relationships. 
It's at the root of broken friendships. It's at the root of broken marriages. It's the self-centeredness that comes from pride breaks relationships. Proverbs 13.10, where there is strife, there is pride. That's true, right? We, we, we fight and argue and get in conflict because of pride. Pride always has to be right. When, when, when I'm proud in an argument, it's because I, I got to show you that I'm right. You got to show your spouse that you're right. And you care more about being right than solving the conflict. That gets us all in trouble. It causes us, pride causes us to not take responsibility in conflict. It only focuses on the wrongs of the other person. So we have to remember when to be humble in a, in a conflict is to, to realize what you brought to the table and to also, you know, over, learn to overlook. That's hard to do. And then another reason that pride is so deadly is it produces stress and anxiety. It takes a lot of work to be proud, right? It takes a lot of work to keep up appearances. Pride is constantly concerned with how we appear to others, whether outwardly or what people think of us, needing people's approval. I, I, I can relate to that. I'm an approval addict. I'm not a people pleaser because people pleasers will, will do something that they don't want to do to make somebody else happy. Mm, that's not me. But, but approval addiction, I want you to like. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but I want you to like it. Can you relate to that? Like, there's a few of us in here. And learning about that, how needing the approval of others comes from a heart of pride. Scott, you got a heart of pride. That's why you want everyone's approval. Pride comes from fearing man more than it does fearing the Lord. Proverbs 29, 25. It is, a dangerous, it is dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you. In, you know, that verse is the, the fear of man proves to be a snare. It's a trap. We need the pr- approval of people more than God. That's at the root of all peer pressure and the desire to be noticed, the desire to be liked. As I was putting this together, I thought about something that happened to me when I was in 10th grade playing 10th grade football. I, uh, I was too slow to be a skill player and too small to really be any good on the lineman. You know, I was a 140-pound guard. <laughs> uh, that doesn't work a whole lot. And so I didn't play much. And in 10th grade, we were playing our arch rivals. And I was on the kickoff team, and we kicked off to start the game. And we didn't score. So that was the only play I got to play all game. So I was bummed, right? But um, on that opening kickoff, we tackled the guy, and he, it caused a fumble, and we, we didn't score, but we recovered the ball. And at the end of the game, at the, after the game in the locker room, the coach came up to me and goes, Applegate, heard you made that tackle that caused that fumble. Thanks, coach. Yeah, I was nowhere near that tackle. I have no idea why he thought, but I wanted his approval. I wanted to play more. And I said, thanks, coach. And I began to believe this sort of to the point that when I was out of high school, sitting around with the fellas talking about the glory days, remember that time I caused that fumble on on the kickoff? And I mean, I had talked myself into this whole deal. And it wasn't until after I became a Christian at the age of 25 that somehow that story came up and I was getting ready to say, remember that time I caused, no, you didn't do anything. I had to be real and say, and I've been lying about this. For all these years. Why? Pride. Because I want people 
to think well of me. I want a cool glory day story of back in the day, right? Young people in this room, students in this room, listen. It's so important that you get fear the Lord more than you fear people. Because so many young people, the, 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 the crowd you want to fit in with, the friend who you want to fit in with, they're not even going to be your friend in a few years. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be a realist. Like you move on and highly doubt that the people you want their approval at school or wherever are actually going to even be in your life. So don't fear the approval of people. Don't, don't do something that you know is wrong to do just to impress somebody else and fit in with a group of people who aren't even going to be your friends a few years from now. Make sense? Nod your heads, even though I can't see you. It's important. That goes for all of us. Let's don't do something for the approval of people. Let's live for the approval of God. Lastly, why it's so deadly is pride is hard to see in ourselves. It's hard to see in ourselves. The surest sign that we're filled with pride is to think that you don't have any pride. That, that, that's... That's a sign. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The problem with pride is it's easy to detect in somebody else, but not in yourself. You can spot pride in somebody else. Who's that person? Thing? And we're just being proud in the first place and why we're rubbed wrong by somebody else's pride. And... We have to watch that. It's, it's like a, a gas leak. It's, you can't smell it or see it, in it, but yet it's very, very deadly. Pride is out to ruin your life. Pride is out to bring you down, ultimately, when you're trying to think it's going to make you a success or whatever. I think when it comes to bad pride, you can divide that into two types of pride. There's first what, what I would call spiritual pride. Christians struggle with this. We all struggle with spiritual pride. We, we're easy to judge somebody else that doesn't have it all together or, or think like us or whatever, and we're, we're fault finders. We're critical of everybody. We can have a, a, a harsh spirit in how we bring correction maybe to our kids or, or to a, a friend or whatever, and you do it in a harsh spirit. There's spiritual pride is usually behind that. Superficiality. Superficiality and being part of spiritual pride is we're, we fight the sins that somebody might notice or see outwardly, but we don't fight the sins that no one can see behind closed doors. Because superficiality and spiritual pride is caring more about what somebody might think of us rather than what God already knows and sees and what happens in my heart behind closed doors. Theological pride. Man, that's a big one. I, I look back on when I went to Bible school and there on I started studying. What a proud little punk I was of my theology. I had it all figured out. And skeptical of everybody else that didn't believe like I did. And God thankfully pointed that out through s s different people. And to get to a place when you, when you think you got it all figured out, you don't have diddly figured out. That's what we have to really walk in humility when it comes to that. Little factions that happen because of theological pride. 
Somebody doesn't think exactly like us, so we'll start the perfect little church where everybody's got it all figured out. And, and that's why here at, at Novation, if you're new or you're a guest with us, we, we hold the conservative truths of the Bible and what the, the essential truths dear. Like, that, that is very dear. Those are non-negotiable. But the secondary issues, we're trying not to fight over those. We can debate. We can discuss. We're not going to divide over something that's not essential to, to the faith, not essential to following Jesus. Then there's selfish pride, though. Selfish pride is defensiveness. Like, we take things personal. I'm guilty of that. So easy to take, you know, somebody's opinion or whatever, take it so personal. Presumption. We presume things about people. We're desperate for attention. Neglecting others is, is selfish pride. Seeing a need or, or whatever and not meeting that, that's, that's a selfish pride. Neglecting others is because we're making life about us rather than others. And so I'll tell you this. I stand before you guilty as charged of pride. Would you agree with yourself that you stand guilty too? We're guilty. We are born into this world self-centered. And it's because of the grace of Jesus Christ coming and living a perfect life and dying on the cross for us that we can even be forgiven. And he forgives us, but he doesn't want us to stay prideful people. He wants to work in each one of our lives. We need a heart surgery to eradicate pride. What's the antidote to our pride problem? Humility. You can write that down. Humility is the antidote to pride. You don't fight pride because you'll lose. You don't, when you're fighting sin and you're trying harder, you're going to continue to fail. As we talked about last week, learning to abide in Jesus and walk in the Spirit is how we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. How we, how we, we don't fight pride, we grow in humility. And you know what? Let's give each other grace to grow in humility. And all of us are, none of us are ever going to arrive to be the most perfect, humble people. But let's all pursue humility. And when we pursue humility, that's when marriages are restored. That's when friendships are restored. That's when, when, when people flourish when they're walking and pursuing humility more than being right. Now, humility, by definition that I'm going to give you, is a correct estimation of yourself before God and others. There's a false humility, oh, I'm the worst, and I'm just, I'm just a worm. Yeah, that's, that's not true. But you're also not as good as you think you are either. We're never as bad as we think we are. We're never as good as we think we are. Humility is a, a correct estimation of ourselves before our Creator and before one another. That we're not better than anybody because of what we have or what we do or what we look like. That doesn't make us better. Now, we wouldn't understand pride. We definitely wouldn't understand humility unless we looked to Jesus and his example of, of what it was to be truly humble. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2 some amazing words. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition." or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What if we just did that? We practice that on a daily basis in our relationships, in our homes, the workplace. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. He humbled himself. God from eternity past took on human flesh to show us what God was really like. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He humbled himself to die on a cross for us. He died a criminal's death when he had never did one thing wrong. He was perfect. How do we build this humility into our hearts? It's like the guy said, um, I'd really like to be humble, but will anybody notice? <laughs> but don't, like, you're, I'd really like to be humble, but will you notice that I'm being humble? Please notice how, how humble I'm being. Three, three things, I think, from that passage that we can apply to, to learn to build humility into our hearts is first, live for the well done of the Lord. Live for his well done, not the well done of people. Jesus talks in the parable of the talents about, you know, well done, my faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your, your master. How we live our lives. To live for the well done of the Lord. Live for that more than anything else. Colossians 3.23 um, today, you may have a boss that drives you nuts or somebody that, you're, you, that you work for that drives you nuts. Colossians 3.23 says, don't forget, you're not working for people. You're working for the Lord Jesus. Work in such a way that brings him honor. You can do that. So if you have a boss that's driving you bananas, remember, you're not working for them. You're ultimately working for the Lord. Humility gets worked into our lives. The well done of others may come, and it may not. Don't live for the well done and, and, and somebody noticing you. My, uh, the praise of man is very fickle. My dad told me that he, he, when he was a teenager, he would go to Yankee Stadium. And uh, Mickey Mantle, one of the greatest players ever, would, he would hit like a 500-foot home run. Boom! Mickey, you're the greatest. Ah, you're the greatest ever. And the next at bat, he would strike out. You're a bum, Mickey. You're a bum. You, you know, it's just the praise of man is super fickle. They're with you one day and, and not the next. So you can't live for, for people's praise. Live for the well done of the Lord. One of the best books I ever read um, on humility was by a guy named Andrew Murray. He's an old, an old dead guy from you know, 150 years ago. You should read lots of books by the old dead guys. They knew what they were talking about, I'm telling you. 
And uh, he said this. He said, humility is the, the place of entire dependence on God. It is from the very nature of things, the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every virtue. I love that. It's the proper creation-creator relationship. Corey Tin Boom, um, she was a lady who during the Holocaust helped save tons of, of uh, heaps of Jewish folks from, from death. And she was a Christian, and she went on to speak and share and write books. And she said that every time she would receive praise or a compliment, she would see it as like she was getting a flower. And at the end of the day, she would offer that bouquet of flowers up to the Lord and say, these are all yours anyway, Lord. I thought that was a cool way to, say, to, to, to remember that. Second thing, if you're going to build humility in your heart, is live to help others succeed. Live to help others succeed. Don't just worry about your success. Live to help others succeed. You will have Christ-like humility working in your life when you do that. Andrew Murray said this, the humble person feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before them. He can bear to hear others praised and themselves forgotten. Oof. Oof. About that person that got a promotion over you and you think you should have received that promotion. Somebody got an attaboy or atta girl and a job well done and you didn't, you didn't hear those words. Listen. Thank God for those people that are succeeding. Help others succeed. Those are some things to look for to help strip pride away by helping others be the best that they can be rather than you focusing on yourself. Again, why is that kid playing and my kid's not? <laughs> hey, go sit by those parents during the next game of the kid that you're, you're frustrated that your kid should be playing and make sure they hear you cheering on their, their son or daughter. Humility working in our lives. I get it, easier said than done, but if we want to be like Jesus, then these are the principles that have to be applied to our lives. Lastly, <clears throat> live to make life better for others. And that's a little different than helping them succeed. Living to make life better for others is really becoming a servant. You become a servant to other folks. <clears throat> a servant makes life better for others. To serve God is to serve people. God doesn't need us to make life better for him. He wants us to make life better for others. A servant and someone with a servant's heart, they don't need to be noticed. And yet in us, we're wired with pride. We want to be noticed. Something that I read years ago that was I think is a helpful thing that we all can do is learning to do secret acts of service. Do something for someone that no one will even know that you did it. Just you and God do it. Um, it's hard to do, right? I mean, one time I, I mowed my neighbor's lawn and I was trying to do him a favor because the lawn was about that long. So maybe there was something in it for me too. I had to look at his lawn. But I, I went and mowed it, and I think I offended him. And I thought I was doing him a, a, a favor, right? <laughs> you got to be careful with these secret acts of service. But you know, I guess do something for someone who could never repay you. That's another thing, too. We're going <clears> to <throat> go back into a song. 
It's called resurrecting. And what I want you to do during this song is I want you to reflect, God, where do you have your finger on my heart through this message? Or where am I not growing humility in my life? Where am I acting pride? What relationship needs help? I want you to reflect, and I want you to repent. God, repentance is not a one-time deal. Repentance is a way of life. And repentance means I was walking in this direction, the wrong way. I turn around, I go in the right direction. That's the visual. Repentance is doing a 180. The beauty of God is, is repentance is how we think, how we act, how we speak. And then respond to him in worship. Respond to him to the gospel that Jesus, he's the only perfect one. But he is resurrecting us and causing us to be like him and allow him to work. Let's stand together and sing this song. The Bible instructs us to to pray for one another um, and to confess our faults one to another that we should be healed. A couple weeks ago, Joel taught on prayer and we had an amazing prayer time where people pray prayer for healing and inner healing and all kinds of things. And we want to continue to foster that kind of environment on Sundays when we're together and in everything that we do. And so as we're leaving today, um, there's going to be some folks up here to pray for you. And um, if you have some needs, you have something you want someone to agree with you in prayer on, um, let's do that this morning. Today, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you've never put your faith, hope, and trust in Him, today's the day to do that. He'll deliver you from all your sin. If you'd like to talk to somebody about what that means, um, several will be up here as well. Lord, we love you. May you bless us with humility to walk like you walk, Lord Jesus, away from pride, and to be humble like our King. In Jesus' name, amen. Have an amazing week as you go. Thank you.